Praise the Lord this morning, and we're looking again at the prophet Elisha and how he followed his master from Gilgal, and his master kind of had a few discouraging words for him. His master told him to stay there, but Elisha wouldn't be discouraged. We talked a little bit about going through discouraging situations and um, you know how we respond to those things and to hardships and difficulty and you know sometimes we can go through those and say lord i thought you wanted me to follow you but this this is so discouraging this is so difficult why am i experiencing this but the key is to be like elisha to respond in a way lord i will not leave you i will not leave you i'm going on i'm going on i'm going to follow you you know we can kind of relate that to some other people in scripture that we can see I was just thinking about Caleb and Joshua. They had a very similar response because they were part of the 12 tribes. 12 tribes, yes, they were. But the 12 spies sent into the promised land. They were to spy out the land and and see what it was like and look at what was going on there. And they came back and they gave a good, well, they gave a report about the land, and they said, the land is good. You could say that they gave a good report about the land, right? Where God wanted to bring them was good. It had good fruit. They carried back this big thing of grapes. I I always had this carving. I grew up, my parents had this carving of these two Israelites carrying a bunch of grapes, and the grapes looked like as big as them, and they're carrying it between two poles. You know, that was kind of a representative of, they brought this like huge cluster of grapes, and it was showing how the land was fruitful. But they had a different report about the enemy and the people in the land, didn't they? They said, they're giants. We don't have a chance. We're not going to be able to defeat them. They basically said, let's turn around and go back to Egypt. And that was their report. That was their confession, their declaration. But Caleb and Joshua had a different declaration. They said, yes, there's giants. They didn't you know, say that there weren't. They said, yeah, there's some giants. There's some big fellows in the land. And, um, but God is bigger. God is bigger than them. He's more than able to bring us into this land and to give it to us, no matter who possesses it. And they gave this response in, in Numbers 14 and verse 8. If the Lord delights in us, then he will bring us into the land, and he'll give it to us. It's a land that flows with milk and honey. But if he delights in us, he'll give it to us. And so the key lies with us, living in a way that delights God. And if he delights in us, he'll bring us in. And so the Lord's testimony of these two men was different than the testimony of those other ten those other 10, unfortunately, they, their testimony caused them not to live very long. Um, but in verse 24, I'm going to read this from the ESV. In Numbers 14 and 24, it says, But my servant Caleb, we can include Joshua in here, but my servants, because he had a different spirit, and he, fully, he followed me fully, I'll bring him into the land and which he went, and his descendants shall possess it. Out of that whole generation, 
Caleb and Joshua were the ones who came into the land because they had a different spirit, a different spirit. And we can relate that back to Elisha. He went on with God. He was able to to kind of press on through that discouragement, the discouraging experiences time after time where it even seemed like his authority was discouraging him, where you know the ones he was supposed to look to were saying, just stay here, don't, don't bother. But he had a different spirit. He was not going to let those things stop him from meeting God, from entering into the land. He looked at the situation with eyes of faith. And like it says in Hebrews 11, right? we are to believe in who he is, Hebrews 11.6, and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. That's having a different spirit. In the midst of difficulty, we're able to look with eyes of faith at our situation. Even though it's overwhelming and discouraging, we're determining in our hearts, no, God is more than able to give me the victory in this. He's more than able to bring me into that good land that he has for me, a good inheritance, a good plan for my life, and so forth. And so I will trust in him. I'll follow him wherever he leads me. That's the spirit God wants to plant within us. So Elisha followed God. He was able to ask his master for something, for a double portion. And we looked last week about the the firstborn among the brethren being those of the double portion. Um, how but it's for a reason, because they're given responsibility to care for others, for their brothers and sisters. So they're given more and able to do more for God. And, you know, that's like, you know, we're crying out to God, continuing for a long time until he grants our request, because we have that different spirit to follow him. It stretches us. We talked about, you know, that, po- that process of becoming new wineskins. God will take us through those times of crying out to him, seeking his face, and it's stretching so that it, he can enlarge us, enlarge our capacity for more of him, more of his spirit. Now, I wanted to just look at another aspect that we can see regarding Elisha here, and I think we can link it to the firstborn, to those who receive the double portion. And I want us to notice something that it says back in in 2 Kings chapter 2. And it's something that is said to Elisha after he asks for the double portion. And it's kind of an interesting way that Elijah phrases this as the answer. So 2 Kings 2 verse 10. So Elisha has just asked, I need a double portion of your spirit. And Elijah says, you have asked a hard thing. It's not going to be easy. Nevertheless, if you see me when I'm taken from you, it shall be so unto you. But if not, it will not be so. I thought that was interesting. The proof that Elisha was going to receive the double portion was if you see me. If you see me being taken up by the chariot of God in the whirlwind unto heaven, then you'll have it. And I was just kind of thinking about how that was the indicator. If Elisha saw him, if he had eyes to see 
something supernatural. And that's as supernatural as you can get, right? The chariots coming from heaven and picking someone up in a whirlwind back, taking up to heaven. And we know that Elisha did see him. My father, the chariots are coming. And he was taken up. And there's that thought here of the need to keep our eyes fixed upon heaven, to see the things that God wants us to see and to keep them fixed upon those things rather than the natural perspective that will cause us to receive the blessing from the Lord, to meet with him, to overcome whatever we're seeking. We talked about this a bit in our Bible study in the book of Acts, but you know, as I was studying that portion on Stephen, and he was giving his long sermon on that, but I was just kind of amazed at, at as I just we considered the intensity of those who were attacking him and accusing him, and they brought people to make false accusations against him. And you would think, boy, that would be a really hard situation to go through. That would be so intense, that pressure on you and having to defend yourself. But, you know, when you look at Stephen, it's almost like he wasn't even paying attention to him. He wasn't even, like, considering the things they were saying. He wasn't even looking at them. What was he looking at? Acts 7 and verse 55. But he being full of the Holy Ghost, looking up steadfastly unto heaven. His eyes were steadfast. I don't know what they thought if he... They were trying to accuse him, and he's just going to, you know, they must have thought, what is he doing? What's he looking at? Well, he was seeing something. Like Elisha, if you see me. Well, he saw something in heaven. Stephen did. What did he see? He was looking steadfastly into heaven, and he saw the glory of God. He saw Jesus standing on the right hand of God, and he declared it. Behold, I see the heavens opened, and the Son of Man is standing at the right hand of God. His eyes were fixed on something else. And that enabled him to go through the most difficult, I mean, to give up his life for Christ, to become the first martyr in the church. But he was willing to do that. And he was able to do that because his eyes were on Jesus. And so if our eyes or upon Jesus, we will see the one who is greater than any giant we will face in our life. This is especially true in the last days, right? I mean, Stephen is a model of what the church is going to experience. If the early church experienced this way, we can be very sure the last day church will experience that way. And so we have to learn these lessons now in these times, which are pretty easy compared to times to come. In these lessons we have now to keep our eyes upon the Lord so that he will become our source of provision, protection, direction, and so forth. He'll be our all in all. Wasn't that one of the songs we sang tonight? Our all in all. You know, I was reading this book that's pretty interesting called The Heavenly Man. And it's about a man named Brother Yoon. And he... He met the Lord as a young boy in the 50s and 60s, and in the country, he was in a communist nation. And in the nation he lived in, there were hardly any Bibles. They were all hidden. They actually had to bury them and protect them because they were all taken and destroyed. Um, 
But a- after he came to the Lord, he said, Lord, I need a Bible. I need to read your word. How can I know you if I don't have a, have a Bible? And I mean, they virtually didn't exist. They were just hidden and buried. But he said, Lord, I'm going to fast and pray. And he did every day. His parents thought he was crazy. But he prayed. And he cried out, Lord, give me a Bible. He prayed that way for months. Actually, I think it was over a year. might have been like a year and a half or something. But don't quote me on that. But something, it was a long time for a little, little kid to pray for a Bible. And he, he kept doing that till one day someone met him. And they brought something out and carefully unwrapped it. And it was a Bible. And he'd never met this man God had told this man to go and give your Bible to this young boy. And later on, this young man became a preacher. And he proclaimed Christ all over his nation. The authorities didn't like that. They kept trying to arrest him. And, you know, it was just really neat how God kept allowing him to escape time after time. They put him in a car and they had to stop somewhere, and I guess they didn't lock the door. And he slipped out. And another time, he, he got away from them, and he, he jumped over a wall. And the, the witnesses who were there saying, I've never seen someone jump so high. I didn't think anyone could get over that wall. But it's like God was with him. God was with him to accomplish the impossible. He was a part of the birth of the Christian church in that nation. And when you think about the last days, it's going to be intense. It's going to be intense. And we have to have our eyes upon the Lord. You know, as this young man's eyes were upon, you know, Jesus, even in the impossible, he didn't think, he, he didn't really think about the, the consequences or the, you know, of him not getting a Bible. He just said, Lord, I need a Bible, even though it's impossible to receive one. Well, not with God. And God kept him. But, you know, I was just thinking about how the last days, it's going to be even more intense than that. Actually, I was watching kind of a scary documentary about technology. And they they made it to, like, scare us. Like, you know, technology is going to end the world. It was about AI, artificial intelligence, and how, you know, technology is going to take over. And it's been being used by evil governments to track people and ultimately control them and so forth. And, you know... They're installing cameras on every street corner and the software can identify people by their face. And so you can't hide anywhere. And, you know, you think about these things and you might ask, Lord, how are we going to preach in these nations if we can't even walk on the street? If we're seen and, and the authorities come or so forth. And you know what my answer is? I don't know. I don't know how we're going to do that. If cameras can identify us right away and, But I do know someone who knows the answer. God knows the answer. And as big as those obstacles might seem to us, they're no bigger than those giants were before Caleb and Joshua. And they proclaimed, the Lord is more than able to overcome those things. If If God will delight in us, If we will delight his heart, he is more than able to bring us into the land of our inheritance, to use us to accomplish his will through our lives for our church. And so we have to learn to keep our eyes set upon him.
There's a reference to this concept. We sang about it in one of the songs, um, in the Song of Solomon. And it actually is referring to the church, you know, speaking of the bride of Christ and how the church is to become a glorious bride for him. And um, the verses in Song of Solomon 1 and verse 15, and this is Christ speaking about his beloved, about his bride. And it says in Song of Solomon 115, it says, Behold, you are fair, my love. Behold, you are fair. You have dove's eyes. You have dove's eyes. And so the glorious church, the perfected people of God is described as having dove's eyes. There's a couple of things we can consider about the, um, what this means about a dove's eyes. And it's often mentioned that you know, because of the shape of the head and the placement in the eyes of the eyes for a dove, they cannot kind of only focus on one thing at a time. Right? So their attention, if they want to look at something, they kind of cock their head and they look at that that thing and they can only focus on that one thing and in a sense we are like that um i am a terrible person at multitasking my attention is just has to be just kind of set and then if someone talks to me i'm like wait a minute what what do i look at what do i (laughs) i'm terrible ladies are a little easier at multitasking they can have a full-on conversation while still doing stuff and you know but that not me but you know when it comes to the Lord, we are terrible multitaskers, trying to, trying to balance our relationship with God with something else. They're both going to suffer. And so in reality, we can only give ourselves to one thing. Our emotions, our love, our ambitions, our energy, all has to be given to one thing to really be effective. And God wants that to be towards him. He wants to be first. He wants our eyes to be set upon him, to hear what he's saying. But the, there's another significance, and I wonder if this is more important, is the fact that a dove mates for life. A dove mates for life. They only have eyes for each other. So if a dove, you know, two doves mate, they don't care about other doves. They just have eyes for one another for the rest of their lives. Now, if they don't have another dove, sometimes they can bond with people, right? And we know Les and Carolyn have a dove at home, and when you when you see that, that dove only has eyes for them. If I reach my finger in there, I don't know if I'll get it back. No, probably not. But, but you know, that there's that bond that they develop. And, and sometimes that can be with other animals, too. You know, we have a cat with us. We've had him for a while, and he's pretty attached to us. In fact, whatever room we go in, we've we've done this, we've practiced this. We'll go from like one room to another, and he'll just kind of trot like along, follow us, and sit down. And we'll get up and go to another room, and he'll trot. He has eyes for us. There's that bond there, and of course, I'm sure that's the same bond with Sadie. She's wherever they are. But you know, that's a, a wonderful picture of what God is looking for from our relationship. Because we can have a relationship with him where we call him Lord, but there's not those eyes of a dove. Lord, I only desire you. I only want what you want to do in my life. I, I'm turning my eyes from these other things. That's a process. We've got to cry out for this to be developed, but it's what he desires. It's what he wants. And it's so essential in life that we develop a single eye 
for the Lord. No matter what is, you know, we're going through, no matter what the tempter offers us and what looks good with our natural eye or what draws us, you know, kind of like Jesus, he was offered all the kingdoms of this world if he would just bow down. But he, he only had eyes for his father. You know, the tempter didn't have a chance with that one. In Luke 11 and verse 34, it says this about our eyes. It says, the light of the body is the eye. Therefore, when your eye is single, your whole body is full of light. But when your eye is evil, your body is full of darkness. And so possessing that single eye for Jesus has such a powerful effect in our lives. When our eyes upon Jesus, that light will just shine and it will increase and increase. When we have that single eye for him, our whole being becomes full of light when we're connected to him. The more we walk in that way, the brighter it gets. Kind of like it says in Proverbs 4.18, our pathway just becomes brighter and brighter under the perfect day. When our eye is set on something else or in another way, it reduces that light within us and it allows darkness to come in. And so we so desperately need those eyes like a dove to be set upon him. You know, and there's that thought of the firstborn here having a different sight, a different spirit. If we have a different spirit, it's because we have a different sight, a different vision. While the other spies had their eyes fixed on the natural, Caleb and Joshua had their eyes fixed, not on what they could see with their eyes, but they had their eyes fixed upon the Lord. They were seeing with eyes of faith. Kind of like our father Abraham, right? It talks about him in Hebrews 11. Hebrews 11, 9, it says, By faith he was in a strange land. It was a land of promise, but it was a strange land, unfamiliar. He didn't really feel like he fit in. He just dwelt in his tents with his, with his family. Heirs of him with the same promise. But in verse 10, he was looking for a city that has foundations whose builder and maker is God. And so Abraham was willing to live in tents in that strange land, not feel apart, always feeling a little disconnected, not quite fitting in, feeling different. But he was okay with that because his eyes were set on something else that was much more glorious. Maybe he had gotten a glimpse of the glorious city, the new Jerusalem, and God's plan for him and for his seed to dwell with Christ for all eternity in that city. I don't know what he literally saw when it represents that city, but it was something significant that has allowed him to fix his eyes upon that. It captivated his heart. But when you think about it, us as the spiritual seed of Abraham, God's shown us much more. He's shown us much more in his new covenant. We've experienced more of his spirit. Maybe we haven't seen the vis- literal visions of, his, of that city, but we understand the ways of his kingdom of his word, how things are going to happen in the last days and so forth. 
things the, the Old Testament saints could only dream about, we know and have heard and understand. He's given us the gift of his spirit who will flow through us as much as we like as we seek him. And if we'll keep our minds and hearts fixed upon him, we will qualify to dwell in that city with our father Abraham because the light will increase and increase within us. I'll close with one last thought. Now, just a, maybe a, a picture of what our position is to be like. In Psalm 123 and verse 2, it says, Behold, as the eyes of a servant look unto the hand of their masters, the eyes of a maiden look to the hand of her mistress, so our eyes wait upon the Lord until he has mercy upon us. And so this picture of eyes fixed, waiting upon the master, and it's the thought of a servant. You know, perhaps back in the olden days, there would be a hall and the, the master or the king would be in that hall and he might be entertaining a dignitary or a guest or someone. And the servants would be kind of off in the wings. They'd be in the shadows and they would just be standing at attention just, and their eyes would just be fixed upon the master. And they were waiting for him to give some sort of a signal because I'm sure the master was like, okay, I'm done talking to this person. Come on, move it along. And their eyes were fixed upon the king just for a signal, just for a look, a, a nod or a movement of his hand, and they responded. Now, you can see this, you know, you can watch some of the things about the British monarchy and, and see how the queen will have these elaborate ceremonies with hundreds of dignitaries from around the world, and she tries to make a point of meeting them and greeting, greeting many of them. Um, but she will also always have her staff around her. And it's like they, they're attuned to her. She won't say something, but they know her body language, that when she's done having a conversation with one, someone, they kind of swoop in and say, oh, let me show you now where you should go, <laughs> you know, and, and move things along. It, but it's, it's, it's as if they're, they're so attuned to the direction and the desires of the queen. But they're like those servants in Psalm 123, the eyes of a servant looking to the hand of their master. So our eyes wait upon him till he has mercy, till he speaks to us, till he directs us, till he brings us into the land, fulfills his promise. And, you know, sometimes we can come to the Lord and it's just times of waiting. Not much activity. We're just waiting until he, until he does what he desires to do within us. Till he has mercy upon us and he brings us into that glorious place with Father Abraham, that glorious city. That's his ultimate purpose. And so the Lord wants to give us that sight as Elisha was, was told, if you see me, you'll receive it. If you see me. And so really what we need to say is, Lord, I want to see it. I want to have those eyes so that I can see with eyes of faith, not just reliant upon these natural things. I hate when I can only see with my, with my natural eyes and I'm trying to get the mind of the Lord, but all I can think of is natural things, the natural situation. But oh, when he shares his mind and his word and his perspective, it just brings such clarity, such peace, such confidence when we have the word of the Lord, mm -hmm. 
I love the word of the Lord. I love it when he speaks and brings clarity. Oh, I live for that. Because that's, that's how we are to walk. It's having dove's eyes. Lord, I need that single eye for you. That different spirit. Eyes of faith. And when we have that, we focus on, the, on Christ and on his direction for our lives. Our pathway will grow brighter and brighter and brighter unto the perfect day. The perfect day is when we're with him and we're in that city and we're no longer limited by our natural eyes, but we see him as he is with perfect sight and we're dwelling with him. Amen. Father, we thank you. Thank you for your great plan for us and how you lead us and you're a good master a good lord and lord i pray that you would come afresh into our hearts and into our lives lord we so desire to have those eyes like a dove lord we acknowledge the struggle that at times our eyes become focused upon natural things and our hearts become focused on on the things that we can see and touch and so forth, O oh God. But Lord, we lift our, our eyes to you and our hearts to you this morning. We cry out to you that you would do a fresh work within us. Lord, that you would move within our hearts. Lord, that you would give us eyes to see you in a new way and in a fresh way. Oh God, just come and do that work. Oh Lord, give us that, those eyes of faith that we would look to you that we wouldn't look at the giants or the obstacles, but Lord, we could look above them and see you who are so much greater. Oh, would you do that within us, we ask. Give us those beautiful eyes like a dove that we would stay fixed upon you, fixed upon what you want to do in our lives and that we would be willing to wait upon you. Teach us to be those servants with our eyes fixed upon you, we ask. And we just thank you. We bless you in Jesus' name. Amen.